congregation of the Lord, imagine with me if the opening words of the Bible were, once upon a time. And if we read that Bible and we would begin to read it there, and it would say, once upon a time, there was a God who made everything. And as we would read on, we would come to a verse that said, once upon a time, there was a baby named Moses. And his parents put him in a little floating crib on the big river. And he floated away until a beautiful princess found him. And we would read on a little further. And once upon a time, there was a boy named David who killed a giant named Goliath. And he did it with a stone and a sling. As we came to the New Testament, we would read, Once upon a time, there was a young girl who had a baby. And he was born in a barn. And what about if the Bible ended with the words, And they lived happily ever after? What would we think? Could we trust this book if that's how it began and ended? Children, you know we couldn't. Because we know that little phrase, once upon a time, that's how, how fairy tales begin. And they lived happily ever after, that's how they end. And that phrase, once upon a time, would make the Bible nothing more than a fairy tale. We would never really know if it were true. We would never know if we could trust this Word of God or if we could trust the God of this Word. We would never know for sure if sinners like you and me could be saved. But thanks be to God, God did not reveal Himself with a once upon a time, but with truth, rock-solid truth. The Old Testament begins with speaking with authority by stating facts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the Old Testament ends with the words, Lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And the very next words in the New Testament are the book of the generations of Jesus Christ. And the Bible ends with the words, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And from cover to cover, we have the record that God gave of His Son. And there's one phrase that appears over and over in the Bible that sets it apart from, from fairy tales and all other stories. And it's a little phrase that we tend to overlook. It's just a few words. It came to pass. It came to pass. We don't use that kind of language on a day-to-day -day basis now in modern English. But every time it says it came to pass, there's something real that happened. Scripture records real events in real places with real people in real moments of time. 
And that's also important because our soul's eternal destination depends on whether we believe or not believe the real historic facts recorded in the Bible. Just a few moments ago, we confessed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Why do we say that? Why do we believe that? Because that's the truth of the Holy Word of God. We confessed, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit because that's how God reveals Himself in this Word of God. It is true. It came to pass. Tomorrow we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior. Why? Why do we believe this? Because that's what the Bible tells us. We confess, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. Why do we believe that? Because the Bible says it came to pass. It really happened. It's based on the truth of the sure infallible, inerrant Word of God. That's why we believe what we believe. And that's so important to remember also and especially at Christmas time. We read Luke chapter 2. I looked in the bulletin and it looks like Pastor Overdoon is going to be preaching on the same verses that, I, that I'm preaching on tonight from, from a totally different angle. But it's Luke chapter 2. And that begins with those words. And it came to pass. This is the truth of the holy God. That's why we believe this. So tonight I just want to spend some time with you looking at the first seven verses of Luke chapter 2. And I'll just read verse 7 at this time. God's word says, And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And children, I'm sure you've memorized this at school. We all do. But it's not enough just to memorize it. We need to believe it, because that's what the Word of God says. It came to pass. It really happened. The theme is Christ the Savior is born. Three thoughts. He was born at a precise moment in history. There's nothing iffy about that. He was born at a real place in this world. It still exists today. And he was born under real humble circumstances. Christ the Savior is born at a precise moment in history. And it came to pass. Luke 2, verse 1. And Luke wrote the gospel according to Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. And he uses this little phrase 40 times in those two books. And every time it's there, it came to pass. Whenever you read it, you should think it happened. It's real. 
Not it just so happened, or by chance, or by coincidence, or the stars were aligned properly. No. It happened. And every time of the 452 times the Bible says it came to pass, God's decree is being fulfilled. God's counsel is brought to reality. God's providence is being ruled by God himself. And the whole history of redemption rests on that little phrase, it came to pass. Even the timing of the Lord Jesus Christ's birth was not left up to circumstances. It was all according to plan. It came to pass in those days. Exactly those days. Not any other days, no other time, but these days. Those days when John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, had been born. Those days when, when Caesar Augustus was the Roman emperor. Those days when, when there had been 400 years of silence from God's prophets. And they hadn't heard from the Lord for 400 years. No new prophecies. Those days when God's people, his chosen people, the Jews, were under the dominion of a foreign power. Strangers were ruling them. They were not anymore the independent people they were. These people of God had refused to have God's rule, and now they're under the oppressor's rule. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. Every Israelite had to go to his ancestor's town. For us, that would mean if, if our ancestors were born and raised in Calgary, we would have to go to Calgary to be registered. Why did Caesar Augustus make that degree, decree to, to register the whole world? Historians tell us that Caesar was a very proud man. And, and he would count the people of his empire, and then he could stand back and say, look how great my empire is. I'm an awesome emperor. And they said he was a very greedy man. And the more people he could count, the more he could tax them, and the more money he would make. That's from Caesar's side. But man proposes, and we know God disposes. In this census, everyone was to be registered. And that means their names would be written on the rolls and, and their marital status and the number of people in the household and the occupation of the breadwinner. It's just like when there's a census in Canada, it was against the law not to give that information. So Caesar made this decree. But behind Caesar is God's sovereign decree. God Almighty caused Augustus to make this decree that all in the Roman Empire had to be registered so that Mary would be in Bethlehem at that very time. That's why it had to happen. Surely a woman who's nine months pregnant, 
is not going to go for a joyride on the back of a donkey for 140 kilometers over rough country, a journey that would take up to seven days in that time and in that place. But she had to. Because Caesar Augustus made that decree. And behind Caesar, God made that decree. Christ the Savior is born in those days. When, when we see the sad estate of God's covenant people, they lived under God's sovereign, loving rule as a true theocracy. But they rebelled against God. And now they're no longer free. Now they have to obey. They have to be registered. They're afraid not to. Even pregnant women, even those close to their due date, they all went to be registered. Everyone to his own city. They all obeyed Caesar. As a nation, they had said to Jehovah, we will not bow before you. And we will not listen to you or obey you. God, Jehovah. And now, they listen obediently to Caesar Augustus. Now they bow before the Roman emperor. They had refused to believe and obey God's prophets. Just one example. The prophet Malachi says that the Lord God has commanded us to tithe of all God's blessings, but, says God, but they have robbed God. They didn't bring the tithe and now they would be forced to pay Caesar and to pay him much more than what they had willfully refused to pay to God. In the past, the Lord had punished King David for numbering the people. But as a nation, they paid no attention to the Lord anymore. And now they will be numbered again, not by their own king, but by the oppressor. Christ the Savior was born in the days when, when the condition of God's people was at its lowest. As a nation, they couldn't sink any lower. And it was always among them a small remnant, still looking for the consolation of Israel. Among them, Mary and Joseph and Simeon and Zacharias and Elizabeth and Anna. And the Lord gave them patience to see the promises of the Messiah fulfilled. At that time, when all hope seemed to be lost in those days, those exact days, chosen by God himself in the fullness of time, says Paul in Galatians. And dear believers, let us ever rest our souls on the thought that our times are in God's hands. Our gracious God knows the best season to send help. Knows the best season for when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come the second time. He knows the best moment when that is going to happen. And in the meantime, let us never give way to anxiety over the world events all around us. As, as if we would know better than the King of Kings when relief should come.
I quoted Luther this morning. Let me quote him again this, this afternoon. Luther once said to his young friend Melanchthon, Philip, stop trying to govern the world. And maybe that needs to be said to you and me at some point too today. Stop trying to govern the world. God is in control. He knows the best time. So when was Christ the Savior born? In those days. In the fullness of God's time. And where? Where was he born? He was born at a real place. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his espoused wife. And she was great with child. The Savior was not born in Nazareth the hometown of Joseph and Mary. The Savior is not born in Jerusalem, the great capital city of the nation of Israel. No, the Lord will keep his word. All of this happens according to his holy word. The prophet Micah had foretold it hundreds of years previously. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, out of you shall come forth to me the one who is going to be a ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. So already in the Old Testament, the prophets knew the place where Christ Jesus would be born. The chief priests and the scribes, they knew it too. When he was born, when, when Herod the king heard about that this, this new king had been born, he was troubled, and he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And then they quote Micah chapter 5 that I just read to you. And the common people knew it too. In John 7, verse 42, the people said, Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? From Bethlehem. Of course that's where Christ is going to be born. That's what the prophets said. That's what God's word said. And, and what a very fitting place for Christ to be born. Bethlehem. Children, the name Bethlehem means house of bread. House of bread. Just a proper place for, for Jesus to be born because later on he's going to call himself the bread of life. And so the bread of life is born in the house of bread. He's, he's the bread that came down from heaven. He's born in the city of David where the son of David should be born. Where David was a shepherd boy, the good shepherd was born. And that good shepherd born there is going to give his life for the sheep. And God ruled and overruled things in such a way that Mary would be in Bethlehem when the days were completed that she should be delivered. 
Little did Caesar Augustus know that he was being used by Almighty God to accomplish the Lord's good pleasure. This mighty world ruler from Rome, the emperor, was only a tool in God's hands. He's, he's going to carry out the eternal purposes of the king of kings. Little did Caesar and Quirinus know that they were helping to lay the foundation of an eternal kingdom. When Christ is born in Bethlehem, he proves all the Old Testament prophecies to be correct. He is the son of David. He made himself of no reputation. He took on himself the form of a servant, the king of kings. That's who Jesus is. He, he makes himself subject to the ruler of the day. And he did it for sinners like you and me, who by nature refuse to be subject to him. The hearts of believers should take comfort in remembering God's sovereign providence at all times. God is governing the whole world and all of its rulers. They are all in his hand. And we should not be overly upset by the conduct of our government leaders. With our eye of faith, we should see the hand of God ruling and overruling all that they do will ultimately be to the praise of God the King. So when we think of kings today and, and government rulers and prime ministers and presidents and premiers, we should consider them as creatures who in their own power can do absolutely nothing. They can only do what God decrees and allows them to do. That's how Christ the Savior is born in Bethlehem. In a little town that still stands today. And though we're not told the exact date of Christ's birth, we celebrate it on December 25 every year. That's a good tradition. In those days, it says, and that could be a few days after they arrived, maybe that same night. The important fact for us is while they were there in Bethlehem. Why is that so important? Because that's God's decree. And the stress here is on the real poor and humble place of his birth. The days were accomplished. The days were completed. His birth was in the fullness of time. And God Almighty had determined the exact precise moment and place that the Lord Jesus Christ arrives. Yes, Christ the Savior was born so that sinners dead in trespasses and sins can be born again. Christ the Savior He's born at a precise moment in history, at a real place in this world, and under real humble circumstances. Verse 6, so it was. Now, you don't see it here in English, but in, in Greek, that's the same word as in verse 1, it came to pass. 
So we can, I'm going to read it that way. And it came to pass that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The Virgin Mary brings forth her firstborn son. Of course she does. That's what God had said would happen through his prophet Isaiah. Chapter 7, verse 14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And she's her firstborn son. She had other children too. Their, their names are mentioned elsewhere in the Bible. She brings forth this baby, wraps him in swaddling clothes. And Jesus is born in poverty. Like, like all poor babies in those days, he's snugly wrapped in strips of cloth, probably, probably old rags. And she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Why was that? Why was there no room in the inn? We have to remember that Bethlehem was overflowing with people being registered. Not only many Jewish people were there, but officers and soldiers and officials of the Roman govern government with the duty of taking the census. Sometimes people have tried to blame the innkeeper. What a greedy man. He only wanted rich people in his inn. Well, the Bible really doesn't say anything about an innkeeper, does it? It just says there was no room for them in the inn. The most important matter for us is that God decreed all these circumstances and that the Lord Jesus Christ actively chose not to be born in the inn. That was his choice. The Bible puts strong emphasis on the fact that Jesus is born not in the inn, but in a stable. And we must never forget, he chose that time. He chose that place. He chose the circumstances of his birth. And he did it. To come here to this earth to seek and to save that which was lost. And to save his people from their sins. He chose to be born in these humble circumstances. Notice some contrasts with me. In Luke 1 verse 28, Gabriel had said to Mary... Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And now we read in Luke 2, there was no room for them in the inn. Is, is that how the world treats the highly favored one of God? Is that how Mary experiences the Lord is with you? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Think, think about what the angel said. He will be great. He will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give him the throne of his father, David. So this is the great one, the son of the highest, on the throne of his father, David. And it says she laid him in a manger. Is that the place for the great son of the highest? Yes, it is. He chose that place. Why is this, con this contrast? Why is that? 
The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Dear believers, that's why he is there in that manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. That's why he chose to become poor. So that you today, through his poverty, might become rich spiritually. Here we see in, in Isaiah chapter 9, this Jesus is called the everlasting father. And he becomes a child in a manger. In Daniel 7, he's called the Ancient of Days, and, and he becomes an infant. And he lives here for 33 years. He's not born in a sterile hospital room like most of us were. He's not even born in his mother's home. He's born in a strange, poor place because there was no room for him in the inn. He's not laid in a little soft bassinet. He's not, he doesn't have a carefully prepared cradle. He's in a manger. A feed trough was his cradle. Born in a stable because there was no room for them in the inn. The inn was too crowded for Jesus. He chose it that way, but that was reality. The inn was too crowded for him. It reminds me of many hearts today. Even at Christmas time that do not welcome Jesus simply because these hearts are already overcrowded. Right? At this very busy time of the year and our thoughts are filled with family, and friends, and gifts, and, and traditions are all wonderful things. And we seem to have room for everything except for Jesus. Are we reflecting these days on Christ's humble birth? Or is there no time left for Jesus at Christmas time? No desire to do what pleases Him? Does that, does that describe your heart tonight? Making time and space for, for everything, but no room in your heart for Jesus? No need? For the Lord Jesus. Are you not aware. That you are a guilty sinner. Exactly the kind that he came for. And that you need the Savior. Oh how we need to pray. Like we, we heard this morning. Lord open my eyes. That I may see myself. And that I may see you. And that I may see the Lord Jesus Christ. But see here in our text the, the grace and the condescension of Jesus. He doesn't come with pomp and ceremony. He doesn't come with royal majesty. He doesn't come surrounded by his father's angels. He didn't choose to dwell in a palace with power and great authority. But he became poor. Among the poorest of that society. And he did it. To make sinners like you and me oh so rich. Unspeakable riches. 
in Christ. For sinners who, who repent and believe his precious gospel. Oh, this love is un, unsearchable. It's indescribable. Paul says this is a love for sinners that surpasses knowledge. Maybe you've heard people these days too grumbling about the sacrifices we have to make sometimes as Christians in this world. But think of the sacrifice that Christ Jesus made. He, he leaves his, the heavenly splendor, the presence of his Father in heaven, and he gives up his rights. And then we, we want to stand up for our rights, but Christ gave up his rights. And he's forsaken by God. And he willfully endured indescribable suffering for us, beginning with his humble birth. Let's focus on that sacrifice these days. Because the gospel doesn't end in Luke 2. It goes right to the end of Luke. And there through his humiliation and death on the cross, he purchased the title to glory for all those sinners who will believe in him. Through his life of suffering, beginning with his humble birth, and through his perfect obedience, he purchased eternal redemption for sinners who will repent and believe the gospel. All through his life, he was poor for our sakes. From the hour of his birth until the hour of his death, so that through his poverty, we might become rich. Because the word of God says so, we believe that he is our mediator and with his innocence and perfect holiness covers in the sight of God my sins. Wherein I was conceived and brought forth. He's quoting from one of our confessions. And how did he do that? Galatians 3.13 Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. That's that baby in the manger. He becomes a curse for us. That's what it took to save you, dear believer. Second Corinthians 5.21 For God made him who knew no sin, that is Jesus, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Just two verses there. He became a curse for us, and He was made sin for us. That's true for every believer. And His humble birth is only the beginning of His suffering all the time He lived on earth, but especially at the end of His life, he sustained in body and soul the wrath of God against all the sins of all mankind so that by his suffering as the only reconciling sacrifice he might redeem our body and soul from everlasting damnation and obtain for us the favor of God and righteousness and eternal life. Do you believe all this? It's not once upon a time. It came to pass. It really happened. It's true. 
If you're here tonight still as an unbeliever, still going your own way, away from the Lord, still not seeing your need for Christ, still not seeing your need for a Savior, still refusing to bow before the King of kings and, and the Lord of lords, then you need to know you will meet him and you will bow. You will. When you die and on judgment day, but then it will be too late to bow in humble adoration before him. Oh, my dear friend, do it. Do it today. This is the day of grace. Come to Jesus today. Come back to Jesus. Come in the way of repentance and, and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Dear believers here tonight, you're joyful, aren't you? At the commemoration of our Savior's birth. But you realize that you can't die with a baby in a manger. No, that, that baby needs to grow up. He needs to become a rabbi with, with a perfect sinless soul. And he needs to keep God's law perfectly. And he will have a full-grown human body. And that body will endure awful, horrendous suffering. That body with its sinless soul will be crucified for sin, for sinners. He will suffer. He will die and be buried and be raised again from the dead. That same Jesus whom we see today as a baby in a manger, is coming again on the clouds of heaven as the judge. And after that, he will live and reign forever with his people in the new heavens and the new earth. I was leafing through an old book I had on my shelf the other day, the book of hymns by Horatius Bonner. And I came across this. I thought I would just read it tonight and then we'll close. It's a hymn called Made of a Woman. The Christ of God has come, long promised, long delayed. True God from heaven he cometh down, true man of woman made. The Son of God is here, O fair and welcome morn. God manifest in the flesh has come. To us a child is born. In lowliness he lies, that blessed babe of heaven. Our God for us becometh man. To us a son is given. He cometh in his love for us on earth to live. Bearing the burden of our guilt for us his life to give. Oh, many-sided love. So boundless and so free. Love of the cradle and the cross. What joy we find in thee. He cometh in his grace, the guilty to forgive. He cometh in his glorious power. He maketh dead men live. He comes to live our life 
He comes to weep our tears, to give us sympathy in all our sorrows and our fears. He comes to die our death, to enter our dark tomb, to conquer our last enemy and rob the grave of gloom. He cometh clothed in light to bid our darkness flee, for night to give us day, for death his immortality. The Christ of God we sing, the babe of Bethlehem, and on his infant head we place the royal diadem. The crown of thorns is his, that child of poverty, who on this earth of ours can find no place his head to lay. The crown of heaven is his, and angels own him there. The crown of earth shall yet be his, and we that crown shall share. I just want to wish you all a blessed Christmas day tomorrow. Remembering the, the reason for the season, the historical facts of Jesus Christ's birth. And why? Because of your and my sin. And it's not once upon a time, but it came to pass in those days, in that place, in Bethlehem, under those poor circumstances. Do you believe? Do you believe the historical facts of the gospel message of Christ's birth? It is indeed the only message of hope for sinners in this hopeless place that we live in. And today, tonight, you and I may still flee for refuge to the hope that's set before us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen.